Good morning. It is good to be here. It is difficult to be here without everybody else here, but it is good to be in this place. Um, just a couple of announcements before we begin. Really, really only one big announcement today is that in light of the recent CDC regulations or recommendations, excuse me, the session has met and decided that we will continue as we are right now for the month of April. We will not be meeting for the month of April. We will be continuing to um, meet virtually, so to speak. So please take the month of April to pray. Pray to God. There is a call from our denomination for Good Friday for fasting and prayer to end the coronavirus. And so please take opportunities to pray for those who are sick, for those who are not sick, for doctors and nurses and those that are on the, uh, the front line of this particular battle. Um, lift them up in prayer. Lift our nation, our church up in prayer as well as we seek to do ministry differently. This is Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. So our call to worship today comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we celebrate today our King. We celebrate his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem on that Sunday, the week before he was to die on the cross to provide us the opportunity for access to your throne. We thank you that he is still King and that he still rules, that he subdues us to himself and he subdues all of his enemies and our enemies. And we are grateful to live under his gracious and righteous rule. But we're here today to worship the triune God, the God who provided salvation. And we worship by praying as you have taught us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our opening hymn today is hymn, if you have a hymn book at home, it is hymn number 213, but it is crown him with many crowns. 
we are still called to lift up our voices, to worship the king and to anoint him as king every day. So please join with me as we sing crown him with many crowns verses one, two and four. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless King through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet continue to walk the path of sanctification and part of walking that path of sanctification is confessing our sins so today our prayer of confession will come from prone to wander by barbara duguid let us pray our great god before you we are full of vanity and iniquity our sin has forfeited your favor and corrupted your image exposing us to the curse of your wrath Though your law is written deeply on our hearts and consciences, we take little delight in it. You have delivered us from our sin and continue to deliver us from our foolish weakness. But we are slow to proclaim your faithfulness and speak of your salvation to one another. When you rescue us from pits of destruction, we look on our sin lightly and take your grace and steadfast love for granted. Father, forgive us. Jesus, you are the lamb for sinners wounded and the rock of our salvation. You withstood the heavy load of our guilt and delivered us from the penalty that we so richly deserve. You did not conceal the glory of your father, but wrapped yourself in our flesh 
so that we could see and touch that glory and learn of his steadfast love and faithfulness. You proclaimed God's salvation and deliverance with your lips, your life, your death, and your resurrection. Now, through the gift of faith, your obedience has become our own. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Holy Spirit, we cannot deliver ourselves from our indwelling sin. Help us to find in Jesus the power of our salvation. His death is the center of all relief. His life is the source of all our hope and righteousness. Transform us by your mercy and grace into children who are more thankful for your kindness, more humble under your correction, more watchful against temptation, more eager to serve you. Give us hearts overflowing with joy in you and lips that boast often of Jesus Christ, our only hope in life and in death. Rescue us each day from the pit of our own self-sufficiency. May we look to Christ, our rock and redeemer, in times of sorrow and of peace, until the day when faith becomes sight and all is well with our souls. Amen. And then hear these words of assurance from Psalm 40. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Malachi. It comes from Malachi chapter one, beginning in verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? The Lord responds, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Later on in the book of Malachi, he calls us 
to test the Lord by the giving of our tithes and offerings. And so this is the time in our service where we typically collect those tithes, those offerings. And so please remember to mail them in. If you are worshiping with us today from a different church, we do ask that you continue to support them as they have bills to pay and people to support within their community. Not only do we worship God through prayer, not only do we worship God through giving, but we also worship God by singing. And once again, we are reminded in our song of Jesus' role as king by the singing of All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the And crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace, and crown him Lord of all. continue to lift up our nation, our world, our church, as we deal with this virus. Remember the Carters and the Ratliffs as um, uh, Bob and Sadie's granddaughter, Michaela, uh, passed away earlier this week. Please lift them up in prayer. Let us do go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, our Holy Father, 
I join with many of the psalmists asking why. As I stand here in this place looking out upon this virtually empty sanctuary. Missing those whom you have called me to shepherd and to serve. I ask why have you taken worship away from us? Why have you made it so that we cannot gather? Why have you made it so that we cannot celebrate some of the highlights of the Christian year together as a congregation, as a body, as a fellowship of believers? Why have you even seemingly taken the Lord's table from us as we will not be able to celebrate together the Lord's Supper? And then as many as the psalmists do, I begin to search my heart. And Lord, you call us to repent. You remind us that when we are exiled from your worship, that we are called to repent. You remind us that when pestilence and famine and death comes upon the land, that your people are called to turn, to seek your face, to pray and to turn from their wicked ways. And that you will heal the land, that you will heal the church. So, Lord, I pray today in a way that hopefully seeks your face. In a way that hopefully turns from the ways in which we have taken your worship and your presence for granted. And ask today that you would be with us. That you would halt the spread of this virus so that we could gather together once more. Lord, as the psalmist says, revive us again. Restore us to a place of life. Restore us to a place of peace. Restore us to a place of worship. And help us to no longer take this time for granted. Help us to no longer take your gospel for granted. Help us to no longer take you for granted. As we gather. As we worship in the special times that we have on Sunday mornings. And as we worship you in all of our lives. Help us to see the brokenness around us. The brokenness of sin. And to minister in that brokenness in a way that proclaims faithfully and clearly your gospel. Help us to no longer have a lack of compassion for one another. Help us to no longer have a lack of compassion for the lost. Help us to take your worship, your world seriously. And help us to live out. Your commands. Lord, in Psalm 119, the psalmist, in the midst of his laments, took great comfort in your word. Help us to take comfort in your word. Lord, we love you. We know that you love us because you sent your son to die for us while we were yet sinners. Help us to live out and speak out that glorious message to our world. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our confession of truth today comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. It is question number one. And the question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer to that is that I am not my own, 
but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles with you, pause the recording here for just a moment and go get one. And then turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 4. We will read uh, verses 10 through 19 and look at God's call to us in those verses. So let us read together. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the wicked is like the first or the path of the righteous. Excuse me. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Let us pray. To the glorious God above, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the light that it shines upon our lives. The light that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the light that is ours through the work of Jesus. Open our eyes and our ears today, Lord, we are... Such fickle people, we have a tendency to follow after the idols of this world and in so following after those idols, turning ourselves into them in that we have eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to see and hear the truth that you have for us and to see and hear it in such a way that it becomes part of our life. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Light and darkness. In Eastern religious philosophy, specifically in Buddhism, there's the concept of balance between light and darkness. You can see this in the the yin-yang symbol that has become popular even in our culture today. The symbol is a circle that represents all of reality. And within the circle are two intertwined forms that really kind of look to be fish. And one is white and one is black. And in the midst of each form is a circle that is the color of the other half. The symbolism of this is that light and dark, good and evil, wisdom and folly 
must be balance in order for peace and harmony to exist within the person and within the world. Unfortunately, this idea has made its way into to some Christian circles as well. There are people who profess, people who teach that God and Satan are equally matched as light and darkness. And whichever one has the most followers at the end of history will win. To quote a former pastor friend of mine who was quoting a former seminary of both of ours, that's an idea that is from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. Are the Eastern religions right? Are light and darkness, wisdom and folly balanced? Solomon teaches his son that light and darkness, wisdom and wickedness are opposed to each other. We don't reach peace and harmony by balancing wisdom and wickedness within ourselves. We must choose one or the other. And that is the choice that Solomon places before his son and before us once again. Choose his teaching, choose God's teaching or choose wickedness. This is not the first time that in Proverbs that Solomon has presented his son with this choice. In Proverbs 1, 8 through 19, Solomon called his son to choose and laid out the benefits of wisdom and the actions of the wicked. Today, Solomon will give his son the same choice, except instead of focusing on the actions of the wicked, he will begin to look at some of their characteristics, some of their heart attitudes as he presents his son with this choice. So today we will look at the question, who will you follow? We will look at the stumbling in darkness and we will look at light on the path as we consider today's call to walk in light or stumble in the darkness. First, who will you follow? In today's passage, the son is presented with two different paths or two different ways. You'll see throughout the passage today that the word path and the word way are used pretty much interchangeably. And Solomon asked his son, which path, which way will you follow? And he lays out for him the two paths or the two ways. In verses 10, 11 and 13, Solomon shows his son that he can walk in the teachings and instructions of the father or he can walk in the way of light or wisdom. This is a little bit different than the opening of other of other calls by Solomon, such as the call in chapter four, verse one, where he says, listen, my sons, Solomon in this call adds an extra verb in the introduction. He says, listen, my son, and accept what I say. He is ramping up the call upon the son and reminding us of what he has taught us previously. In Proverbs three, one, the father tells the son to keep the commands in his heart. He's not only to hear and to do the instructions he receives from his father, he is also to internalize. He is to make the commands so much a part of his life that they seep out of him in his words and in his actions. And in adding the call to accept the teachings, to accept the instructions, to accept what Solomon says, he is reinforcing that idea that not only not only are we to hear and to do what we are taught by Solomon. But they are to become so much a part of us. That they ooze out, they seep out of our actions, out of our words. The goal of sitting under the teaching and preaching of the word of God is not to clock a certain number of hours necessary for entry into heaven. 
We don't just read through the Bible once and say done. We read and study over and over. We sit under teaching day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. So that God's word can be internalized. So that God's words will influence our actions, our decisions and the words that we speak. The father goes on in verse 11 to to tell the son that I have guided you in the ways of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Guiding there is is not just a, a, a come follow me along this path. It is actually taking and leading the son down the path. It is a it is a way of living out as an example for the son. We saw in the first nine verses of chapter four that the father has shown the son the way down the path of wisdom and righteousness as he learned the wisdom from his father and lived it out. He has lived out the wisdom that he was taught and he is calling his son to follow the same path that he has laid out. How tempting it is as a father to say, do as I say and not as I do. Men of the church, we are called to model and to guide the children that God has entrusted to us, whether our own children or the children of the church in the ways of wisdom. We must live honest lives. We must live wise lives before those children. This means that we must make wise and righteous choices. And yes, sometimes humble ourselves and ask forgiveness when we fail. The father wraps up his call to the path of light or to the wise path. In verse 13, he says, hold on to instruction, instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. The word hold on there is uh, a word that means to aggressively seize, to aggressively embrace the instruction that he has given to it. And he and he strengthens that command by adding, do not let it go. We are to cling to the instruction. The son is called to cling to the instruction that Solomon has given to him to guard it, to keep it well, for it is your life. These teachings are seized They must be held on to and they must be guarded in order to provide the fullness of life promised in verse 10 and verse 13. Added to the to the verbs to listen and accept in verse 10. These verbs remind us that there is a fight to walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is not something we nail the first time. It is something that we struggle with. It is a wrestling match. We must grab on to the wisdom taught in God's word and never let it go, no matter what happens in our life. The second half of his call of who will you follow? The father describes the path, the walk of the wicked. In verses 14 and 15, let me read those for us again. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your way. There's a building of verbs here as we have six verbs compacted into these two verses. Solomon opens up to his son by saying, don't even set your foot on the path or walk in the way of evil men. The call here is a, a call to not even entertaining the idea of wickedness. Don't even start down that path. 
How many of you have used that term in discipline of your children? Don't even start walking down that path with me. That's the idea that we get here in verse 14. In the vast, vast majority of cases, life altering sins don't just happen in the blink of an eye. The adulterer followed a path that began with a small event and ended in the destruction of an affair. The alcoholic began with one drink just to take the edge off and ended in the pit of despair. The murderer harbored anger against one small offense and ended in a lifetime in prison. We must beware of even entertaining the idea of sin. We must beware asking ourselves, how close can I get to the line without stepping over? How many lives have been destroyed by small sins that were harbored, that were cherished, and then became big sins that destroyed marriages, that destroyed lives? And in stronger language, in the first half of verse 15, he repeats the command, avoid wickedness, do not travel along the path of wickedness. But then the last two verses of verse, last two verbs, excuse me, of verse 15, Solomon, in in just an intelligent understanding of human nature, tells us to turn from the path when we find ourselves on it. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, there are going to be times when we find ourselves on the path of wickedness. Having forgotten the instructions that we have been given by our parents, having forgotten the instructions that we've been given by God and turned our back on them. And Solomon calls to the son in those moments when you find yourself on the path of wickedness, turn back, turn away. Go your own way. And of course, the own way that the son should go is the way of wisdom, the path of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is repentance. Unfortunately, you and I are going to find ourselves at times. Having turned our back upon God. But thanks be to God that through the work of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, he grabs us. He shakes us out of our blindness And turns us back toward him so that we may repent and be restored, knowing that our our adoption as children of God is not harmed, but knowing that we have grieved our God, that we have grieved our father. God, through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has provided us the strength, the desire to walk the path of wisdom. And to repent when we find ourselves on the paths of wickedness. So Solomon lays out for the son there. The path of righteousness. The path of wickedness. And he asks, which will you choose? Who will you follow? Then as he has described and given the choice between wickedness and righteousness, he describes the characteristics of the wicked, which can be summarized by stumbling in darkness. What the father says to the son is that those who walk in the way of wickedness are consumed with the evil that they do. Verses 16 and 17 say, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. 
They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. We have the basic needs of life here. Sleep, food and drink. And what Solomon says is that they, the wicked are so consumed with their wickedness that that is what they need to live. Verse 16, he says, they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. Think back, brothers and sisters, to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 24, where Solomon taught his son that the wise will rest and sleep without fear. Contrast to that, the wicked are so consumed with their wickedness that they can't sleep. I think this works itself out in two ways. One is through guilt and one is through delight. First, guilt. Not proud to admit this, but as a struggle, as a child, I struggled with honesty. Oh, goodness, this is difficult for me, brothers and sisters. I'm not proud of this, but as a child, I struggled with honesty. I would begin with one little lie. And after a time, it would spiral out of control. In despair, in a broken conscience, I would lie awake and think through all the possible ways I could be caught and plan how the lie would grow in order to keep me out of trouble. I was consumed with the guilt of my dishonesty. Let me tell you, there was a blessed relief when I was finally caught and I could sleep again. However, there's not just a lack of sleep due to our conscience. But the sense is also that there's a lack of sleep due to delighting in doing evil. The wicked lie awake like a small child on Christmas Eve, excited for the opportunities that wait the next day. Excited for the opportunities to harm. Excited for the opportunities to hurt. Excited for the opportunities to do evil. There is glee and there is excitement. In addition to sleep, Solomon lists food and drink, bread and wine here. Bread was one of the main staples of the diet at the time. Wine was one of the main drinks that people had at the time. And so we are we are told we are we should see here all of food and drink, all of whatever we take in, we consume to sustain our lives. The wicked are sustained by the evil that they do. They do not feel fully alive Unless they are engaging in wickedness. It's a horrible picture. It's not a picture we're comfortable with in our culture. Because we think everybody is inherently good. And yet the reality is without the life changing work of the Holy Spirit. We are all consumed with our own wickedness. And that we are ultimately consumed with our own glory. With our own honor. With ourselves. With being ourselves, with defining ourselves, with worshiping ourselves. And in verse 19, Solomon lays out the end of the wicked. He said, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Notice the irony here. They are not satisfied. They do not feel fully alive until they can make someone stumble. Yet their end is that they are the ones who will stumble as they walk about in deep darkness. As they live their life blind to the truth and to the glory of wisdom 
and righteousness. We cry out with many of the psalmists, why don't we see this, Lord? And yet we're reminded in the Gospels, we're reminded throughout the the Old Testament as well, that there will come a time when the wicked will stumble into deep darkness once and for all. And Jesus says repeatedly in the book of Matthew that that deep darkness is a place marked by wailing and gnashing of teeth, by suffering. As they finally get what they wished for, which was life without the presence, the grace of God, excuse me. But they're stumbling in this world as well. How many wicked people have difficulty with family and with relationships, with a sense of emptiness that they just can't explain, that they just don't know why, because they get everything that they want. And yet there is still the emptiness, the dysfunction, the difficulties of heart and of mind. And they are dark to the reasons as to why those things are. Those who walk the paths of the wicked are consumed by their evil covered in darkness and stumbling in that darkness. But then for the for the son, if he were to choose the path that the father lays out before him, the path of the wise, we see that there is light on the path. This light, which is mentioned explicitly in verse 18, which says the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day is mentioned implicitly in verse 12. As the son walks down the path that the father has guided him to, he will find the path open and free from stumbling blocks. To be hampered is to be crowded or to be impeded. The light of wisdom and righteousness will keep us away from those places on the path where the path might become crowded, where the path might become impeded by the temptations to wickedness. The light will also keep us from stumbling on the path The wicked are only happy if they can cause someone to stumble. But the light that shines on the path of the righteousness keeps us from stumbling. Because of the light, we can see the wiles, the temptations of the wicked. And we can avoid them. But notice the characteristics of the light given to us in verse 18. It begins like the light at the first gleam of dawn. And then it shines ever brighter until the full light of day. There's a progressive glowing or growing to the light the further we walk down the path. When we first begin on the path, when we first step foot on the path, sometimes things aren't as bright as we would like, but we begin to see the hamperings. We begin to see the stumbling blocks that are placed there before us. But as we walk longer, As we walk further, the light of wisdom will grow on us and will shine brighter as we learn more. And as we walk with others and as the Holy Spirit continually shines his light into our lives, the more we know, the more we see, the more we grow in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the more we can walk clearly on his path. And yes, brothers and sisters, sometimes the more we are shown the darkness of our own hearts the more we are given opportunity to dig deeper and to repent of deeper and deeper idolatries, deeper and deeper sins. And finally, the light will reach its zenith at the brightness of the noonday sun. And brothers and sisters, that is the day we long for. That is the day we await. 
As Isaiah describes this path in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 8 through 10. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There will come a day when the light shines so brightly upon the path that temptation to to leave the path will no longer be there. The roaring lion, lion that seeks to devour will no longer be able to prowl the path and tempt the walkers off of it. And in that day, the book of Revelation describes the light as no longer being the light of the sun, but the brighter light of God's glory as it shines upon his redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. Because as the light grows brighter upon the path, we move toward that celestial city. We move toward the place where the light shines purely, perfectly in the glory of God. There is light upon the path for the wise. Which way will you choose today? Will you choose the way of wisdom or the way of wickedness? Will you choose the way of light or the way of darkness? Will you do the work of embracing and holding on to the paths of righteousness? Or will you be consumed by the darkness of wickedness? Let us pray. God, you are great and worthy of praise. We thank you for Solomon's words. We thank you for the gift of repentance that sets us on the path of life. Repentance that can be effective because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Guide us along the path of lights, the path of wisdom. Help us to hold on to, to embrace your teachings in such a way that we never let them go. And when we do find ourselves having turned our backs upon you, we ask that you will lead us to repentance. Lead us to turn toward you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we walk that path, we learn how to glorify God, how to lift him up, and how to worship him. So if you have one of our hymn books, it is hymn number 187. It is all glory, laud, and honor, which we give to our Redeemer King, to the second person of the Trinity, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So join with us as we sing all glory, laud, and honor. All glory, laud, and honor to Thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring, the people of the Hebrews with Paul.
praise and prayer and anthems before Thee we present. Thou art the King of Israel, Thou David's royal Son, who in the Lord's name comes, the King and Blessed One, to as you seek to walk the path of wickedness, know that you do not walk it alone. The Holy Spirit is there with you. And through the work of Jesus Christ, we are strengthened for the path. So as you go this week, take this blessing upon you. Now may the peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding, sustain you in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.